Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And, uh, yeah, it's time to... Uh, uh, this, will, this will be a short one because we've been good about doing these every yeah. week, but I think we are actually going to be taking a couple weeks off of doing movie journals. Oh, yeah, we will, yeah. Um, so we won't be doing another one until April 25th. Uh, so... Um, Hopefully I'll watch a lot of movies. It'll be in one of those three and a half hour long movie journals. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, you know, I love those. I know you do. Uh, all right. So let's just get started on what we watched. Uh, I have three things. They're all new movies. Uh, the first one hasn't come out yet. It comes out later. It comes out at the end of the month. The third directorial effort from Ray Fiennes. It's called the white crow. And, so uh, there was Coriolanus. Yep. What was the other one? The invisible woman. Which in one. which he played Charles Dickens okay. and Felicity oh, yes. Jones. Okay, and uh, it was kind of boring, but it had him and Felicity Jones in large roles. Sure. Where I know I feel like people are torn on Felicity Jones. I like her. Um, what uh, little I've seen, I I like. Yeah. Uh, this one, he has a very small role in it. It's um, based on the light it's a biopic of uh, a um soviet ballet dancer who defected um to the west in the 1960s and um his name is rudolph nureyev something like that uh and the movie is just such so much standard biopic stuff it's so like i mean the, it's so convinced of his greatness as a dancer which it also like it toys with interestingly like making him really arrogant, you know, making mm. like, but I feel like it doesn't have quite the commitment either on a fine's part or on this actor's part, whose name I'm forgetting to make, to walk that line of making him a compelling character. Who's also not necessarily a nice guy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. Also the way that it unfolds is it has two, timelines mm-hmm. the 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 there's the the trip with his ballet company to paris and you know in the west that ended in him defecting he ended mm-hmm. up not going back to the country uh from that trip and so you get you get one timeline that's all that trip and then it comes back and forth through his his life mostly uh his training as a ballet dancer and um I feel like it it wants to have, I feel like there's a way to do this screenplay that has a, that, that appreciates It's about the character appreciating art. He's always mm-hmm. being told that Western art is decadent, but he's always sneaking off to go to the Louvre and look at certain paintings and stuff like that. And I just, I feel like the movie doesn't, isn't as in awe of the art as he is. And that seems, seems weird. It definitely seems like it's too focused on the text and not on the subtext. Um, but I will say the sort of climactic sequence, the actual, uh, how he gets away from his handlers and defects and, and sort of slips into, into Paris, uh, is actually really well staged. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not worth 
you know, crawling through the hour and 25 minutes up and up until that part, yeah. uh, to, to get there. So yeah, uh, bit of a disappointment, but also my hopes weren't up that high for the white crow. You know, it, it makes you wonder when you, whenever you, the idea of the biopic is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's been around since, uh, certainly sound films, you know, the life of Emil Zola and stuff like that. But, um, but that's the thing. It's been around that long and (laughs) it does make you wonder. I feel like so many directors feel like, well, this is a story that should be told. And like, and the uniqueness of that particular story seems to be enough that, they feel like, okay, well that's, that will be enough to carry us through. It's like, yeah, but you still got it. You still have to do the work. You mm-hmm. still have yeah. to make it unique in and of itself. And if you, if you capture what makes this person tick, which for example, talking about rather than objectively watch them, watching them appreciate art, how about you do what you can maybe even get a little bit, a little bit experimental so that we can appreciate the art yeah. and engage with it. Like that will, that will actually work wonders to get us to empathize with this character. And he also, uh, Ray Fiennes hired an actor who could dance ballet. And I feel like there's only two like real ballet sequences in it. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like training, but like, come on, yeah, show. he has a single credit, uh, <laughs> which yeah. is this film. And so like, yeah, you'll, you'll want to, my guess is he's a dancer first. Yeah. So, and so the, why isn't the movie just full of dancing? Yeah. Why couldn't you do, yeah, do something that's not so straightforward. Yeah. Anyway, what did you watch? Uh, I saw David F. Sandberg's Shazam, uh, exclamation point. I hope that came across. I think so. Um, which I liked. I actually, I liked quite a bit in a number of ways. It is far from perfect. I think it has some, I would say some big flaws, but not enough to keep me from enjoying it and keep me from recommending it. Um, it is refreshing in a lot of ways. I, I hate to be that person that says like, ah, I remember when superhero movies were fun. The Marvel movies are fun, yeah. but there's a very, but they have a, they, they still have an eye mostly towards a certain type of believability and a certain type of, uh, something of a realistic tone as opposed to say the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. which everything just felt a little bit heightened, you know, yeah. uh, cartoonish in cartoonish. Yeah. Shazam feels a lot more like that. Um, which was, which was kind of nice. Um, and it's, it's hokey, it's campy, but it's still a lot of fun. Uh, my, issue comes with those the the tone is a bit inconsistent at times because uh the the character of shazam is actually a he's a 14 year old boy named billy batson who was abandoned by his parents at like a carnival and he has spent so we see him as a kid and we see that happen and then we cut to him at 14 and he's been searching for his parents and his mother and just like looking up everybody with his last name and all that kind of thing um and he And so then he just has gone from one foster home to another and all that. And then he's lands in this group home with all these delightful archetypes. Um, and from a personal standpoint, I'll say that, you know, Jen and I have been looking into like foster to adopt and, and private adoption and all that sort of thing. And we finally made our 
decision essentially this week about what we were going to do, which I'll keep to myself at the moment. But, um, but you do a lot of research, uh, and you take a lot of classes Mm. and one thing, and it's tough. I, I don't want to hold this against the film, but what I will say is like abandonment is not a subplot. (laughs) <laughs> it is not a mild motivation. Mm-hmm. It is a huge, uh, you know, defining element of a person's life. And yet in the film, they, they give it a little bit of time, um, but they very quickly move beyond it. And I feel like, and those moments are appropriately dark and melancholy and heartbreaking and all of that. Uh, but then we very quickly move back into the excitement and the fun and all that. And it just feels like the, the, they don't bridge that quite enough. Um, and similarly, uh, Zach Levi as the, as Shazam now, like the grown up mm-hmm. Billy Batson, um, he, his energy level is a lot of fun, but what's interesting is that his energy level is not dictated by the performance of the kid. And I feel like it should be this. I understand that his energy level will be up now that he has superpowers. And whenever he does, it's probably very liberating, but I feel like Levi doesn't quite take his cues enough from this. Um, like when you see something like looper, you see, honestly, I feel like, uh, in retrospect, I think Joseph Gordon Levitt is probably doing a lot more work to be like Bruce Willis mm-hmm. than vice versa. But you, that gap is bridged and you believe yeah. that's the same person. I don't really believe that with, uh, with Shazam, which is, which is a bummer. And I, and I feel like I'm focusing primarily on the negatives. There are a lot of positives. It's really enjoyable. And there is a moment, there's a character who, uh, one of the kids in the group home, he walks with a cane and, there comes a moment where that cane plays a, a big role and it's a, it's a purely visual shot and it, it was so, it was so powerful that it, it like brought a tear to my eye. It was a really wonderful moment. So there's a lot of great moments in the film. Uh, but I feel like these other elements that felt almost perfunctory, uh, I feel like they could have done a better job with them, but it's still a movie I, I recommend. All right, well, speaking of movies that uh, are out this weekend, um, in limited release is Emma Tammy's The Wind, uh, which I watched the other night and um, is a really, uh, really um, attention-grabbing early feature. It's the kind of movie where I'm like, at the end of it, kind of like with you with Shazam, I'm like, that didn't entirely work. (laughs) But also, I really can't wait to see what she does next. Sure. Um, The Wind, I... Uh, described it in my review as a feminist horror western. Um, it's about uh, a, a a pioneer couple who live on the prairie, surrounded by nothing but prairie, uh, and then another couple moves in and builds their house about a mile away. And um, the movie is non chronological, um, but we come to learn that. Uh, when I said they lived alone on the prairie, they're not truly alone. There's something out there hmm. on on the prairie. Um, and uh, a big part of the plot is that the main the main character, the character's name is Lizzie. The actress's name is Caitlin Gerard. She's terrific. Um, uh, it's it, We don't know for sure if the demon, let's call it a demon, whatever it is, is targeting her and not her husband Hmm. or if her husband is in denial, 
you know, Mm -hmm. but basically it's dealing with it. You know, there are a couple, but in this sort of psychological sense, she's alone, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you know, fighting these things, uh, alone. And I think it has, um, uh, I, I think the movie has a lot to say about, um, where, uh, what's what I'm looking for? This sort of, um, where values are placed within male, female relationships. Um, in fact, my problem with it, not, it's a minor problem because the movie works really well. It's nice and brisk. It's legitimately scary when it gets to scary parts. But I do think this sort of non-chronological editing and the fact that it's so, like theme focused does mean that it, it it sort of lacks a punch. It lacks a climax. Not that I need resolution, right? But it does seem sort of seem like by the end, uh, she wasn't she the and the uh, I'm suddenly forgetting the screenwriter's name. Teresa. I keep wanting to say Teresa Russell, but that's uh, Nicholas Rogue's ex yeah. <laughs> ex wife. Um, I can't. It's it's something Teresa with an R. I can't remember what it is. Um. It, it needed it it, it, it it the movie does feel like it kind of just kind of peters out uh yeah at, you don't need end, a resolution but you do need to arrive somewhere it, yeah it, yeah uh, it, so that's that's my only problem with it but uh you know for 87 minutes you could do a lot worse it's really visually striking the director's uh, the um cinematographer's name is lynn moncrief um and it's okay here's one thing i pointed out in my review that i really liked about it is that so often when you've got a genre blend it tends to be one with a dash of the other. Mm-hmm. This movie is fully a Western and fully a horror movie. Nice. It's really well balanced in that sense. Um, definitely worth, worth checking out. Um, and also this, uh, actress, Caitlin Gerard is really good. I don't know her from anything. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I hope to see her in more things. What's next for you? All right. This is a rewatch, but I have not seen it in 16 years. Uh, since we saw it in, uh, back in film school in history okay. of cinema, it is, and I'm never a hundred percent sure about the pronunciation. So I'm sorry. It is uh, Sanjay Ray's Pather Panchali. Okay. Um, which is the first film in the Apu, uh, Apu trilogy. It's the only one of the three that I have seen. Uh, but I certainly want to watch the other two now. Um, yeah, we, we, I first saw it in that history of cinema class and then I, uh, showed it in my, uh, world cinema class. Um, just because I showed clips because we were, you know, got to the chapter on uh, India and, um, I, I, I didn't have time to show <laughs> A, any Bollywood movie, uh, really, or kind of the standard Bollywood musicals, they're they're just they're all so damn long. Um, and uh, but I did show some clips from that and and from like Lagan and Bombay and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but yeah, so we watch this, and I mean, it's I'm not saying anything new when I say that it's uh, amazing, um, and it is very affecting, and it's but it is unforced. It's, it's a very effortless film and it's, and appropriately it is from the perspective of a child, um, which is, which is Apu. And he's, he's maybe the, the most passive character of the film. He certainly has the least 
uh, agency. His sister, who, spoilers, uh, gets sick uh, towards the end of the film and passes away, um, she is much more active than mm. he is, and yet it is still seen as his movie because, and certainly when you think in terms of the trilogy, it's called the Apu Trilogy, um, and so you, but even in this film, you do get the sense that it's about the whole family, but it's very much about him taking all this in and seeing like, this is the stuff that's going to form him. Right. It's forming him right now at this moment as he's watching. Um, and uh, the performances are all wonderful, but like, that's something that didn't really strike me is just how effective this movie is as a portrait of childhood. Um, and just as you know, when you're five or six, yeah, there are the things you like, uh, and you know that you love these people in your life, but you don't really, with the exception of maybe throwing a fit to get what you want, like you don't really make a lot of decisions, uh, and you don't really have again, much, much agency. And I feel like it really captures that even in the midst of tragedy. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's a beautifully shot film. I, it's very quiet at times and I, I just love it. I need to watch it again, but that reminds me of, um, I might be the first person to ever compare Pazza Panjali to the door in the floor. Oh, okay. But that is a good movie. Um, yeah, it's, but, but it's, based on a John Irving novel, or I should say it's based on the first third of a John Irving yeah. novel. The main character of the novel is Dakota Fanning's character from the movie, who is not yeah. one of the main characters at all of the movie, yeah. but she's the main character of the novel. Yeah, that's really, that's that's very interesting. And, and the film also does uh, remind me, or I guess it came first and I saw it first, but uh, Florida Project definitely uh, reminds me a oh, lot okay. of that, in that like uh, of it, Pazza Michali, yeah. Not, um, not of the door on the floor. That'd be a well, weird Well, maybe that too. <laughs> um, you know, and as we were, as I was talking about it with my students, um, I talked about, because we'd watched Bicycle Thieves, which is another film that ha- deals with grinding poverty and that sort of thing. But that is, and, and while the, the young son plays a very large role, it's a supporting role. And it is definitely more from the adult's perspective. Whereas this, again, really seems to capture the kid's point of view to such an extent that even when very sad things are happening and we know that they're happening, a kid never fully understands the weight of it. They only know that something is, something is very sad and they feel sad, but they're not able to process it fully. And I, and I think the film doesn't force it. It doesn't, try to it doesn't turn it into Angela's Ashes which is a movie I think is very good but I feel like it is almost self-conscious in its desire to like have these characters in, including a, a child character just feel the weight of everything like kids don't always feel the full weight of everything they feel the weight that they can feel mm-hmm. and the film really seems like that and uh, listeners if you haven't seen it I, I highly recommend it all right, I'll move on to the final film, except I for, there was something about the wind I forgot that I wanted to say okay. to you about Caitlin Gerard. I know I feel like I'm uh, uh, a broken record here, but I was watching the movie and I was like, she reminds me of Blake Lively. And I do think she kind of looks like Blake Lively, but then okay. I also realized what I was thinking. She spends a huge portion of the movie alone. Oh, and okay. I was thinking of The Shallows sure. and how good Blake Lively is in The Shallows. It's and, just a good movie all around. And just generally, I just want to say Blake Lively's great. I feel like she's maybe one of the more underrated current working mm. actors. We'll see. Yeah. See the shallows. See all I see is you. Uh, she's, 
I didn't see a simple favor. I heard good. Oh things yeah, about I heard it. that was good too. Yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't see that. Um, big Blake Lively fan, but and she seems to be doing more that stretches her and 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 challenges her as an actress. But like being able to carry a movie on your own, yeah. is very hard to do. Yeah, or but in, she does. Do you know? Uh, do you know the premise of All I See Is You? No, she's a blind woman okay. who's married, who gets a surgery, gets her eyesight back. And then falls out of love with her husband. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Played by Jason Clark. Um, it's well, a really I, good movie. I get that. <laughs> uh, and it's, I, I should say it's a really good performance. It's, it's a pretty good movie. It's okay. from Mark Forster, whose movies I tend to not like that much. Yeah. But this one is uh, on the better. He started with uh, such and, promise. Um, did he? Or are we misremembering? <laughs> I think there's still a lot of the ability to get to get the level of vulnerability and rawness that he does out of Billy Bob Thornton and, and um, Holly Berry, Holly Berry, but then, then also Peter Boyle, Peter Boyle. Yeah. Yeah. Puff Daddy. Oh boy. I forgot. Yeah. But I think that's, that is definitely a skill and, and even stuff like, uh, finding Neverland with a, getting a really great performance out of a number of child actors is also very difficult. So I yeah. think, I think he, as an actor's director, if nothing else. And I think that he actually creates quite a bit of uh, a really strong sense of tone in, in uh, monsters ball. But, uh, yeah, since then he just kind of became this journeyman director. Who's not always reliable. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of, as with Blake Lively, speaking of actors who got famous in YA adaptations, uh, I saw, Claire Denis High Life starring mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson in another amazing lead performance. Um, it helps that he's sharing the screen this time with Juliette Binoche, who sure. um, might be my favorite actress. <laughs> um, she's definitely a contender. Um, you've also got Andre Benjamin um, oh, uh, in High Life. Uh, Mia Goth, uh, who is just in Suspiria. Uh, last year and a bunch of other people. And, um, the, uh, this is a movie that is a, uh, sci-fi almost kind of horror movie, but mm-hmm. is not like any sci-fi horror movie, uh, you've ever seen. It's, um, the premise is that it's a, a, a bunch of, it's, I guess supposed to be, I don't know, the near future or whatever. And a bunch of, uh, death row inmates have been given an opportunity to, instead of being executed, go on this probably suicide mission to a black hole in deep space. Mm -hmm. And while you're there, uh, we're going to be doing, you're going to be doing, um, uh, fertility experiments because of the radiation. We're going to try and see if, uh, you can carry babies to term while you're in space. And so, but everyone is, even Julia Binoche, who's the doctor who's carrying out the, the, the the experiments is a death row prisoner because she mm. murdered her children and husband. Oh. Um, uh, but I bet she was really but, charming as she did uh, it. Maybe her character is fantastic because mm. her character, um, not that she's happy about what she did, but she thinks she's uh, above the other death row inmates because her crime was more real. <laughs> she's like like a pissing contest about how real your murders were. Um, <laughs> And, uh, so anyway, it's basically they're living on this spaceship that has, you know, an indoor like garden and UV rays and they grow food and they, uh, but then they're also constantly like the, she's always, she's constantly like taking 
sperm samples from the men and injecting them into the women and trying to uh, uh, get them pregnant. While at the same time, because I think the movie is very much about uh, sex and reproduction and how they are obviously tied together, but are also different things. Yes. Because in addition to this stuff, which is all very clinical, everyone on board is super horny all the time. (laughs) They have a, um, masturbation chamber. They call the fuck box that we, we do get to see a little bit of the fuck box. Uh, Um, and, uh, but they're also constantly like leering at each other, grabbing each other in the hallways. And like, it's basically, it's a movie about a bunch of murderers in space, masturbating and fucking adapted from a (laughs) penthouse forum (laughs) short story. Um, but it's, I never thought it would happen to me. (laughs) I wind up on this space station. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an incredibly sensual movie. It's just the feeling literally both emotionally and just literally the tactile feeling of sex and bodies and sweat and fluids and all that stuff Mm. just constantly emanating from, from the movie. Uh, it's, it's intoxicating and I haven't even gotten to the most, uh, what's what I want to say. I don't want to say controversial. That sounds, it's not the, the most difficult part, which is that like, every other movie that I've talked about, uh, on this journal, it's not told linearly. Mm-hmm. And so we first meet our repentance character in the future when everybody else is on board has died except for him and his infant daughter. Mm. Um, and so it cuts back to him like raising her every once in a while. And the, the question that the movie, I think subtextually raises and never specifically raises. There's talk of taboos, the the term taboos used, but there's talk of, it's just a man and his daughter, but if they want to continue the human race at some point, they're going to have to confront some choices. They're the only people left. And that's always in the air in the later scenes, even though again, it's never literalized. Um, it's, uh, uh, but it also feels coming to that thought after this movie. That's so much about the, the gulf between sexual, sexual pleasure, sexual pleasure and sexual reproduction. Yeah. It makes the concept more intriguingly sort of academic and the movie gets more and more spiritual as it goes on too. uh, absolutely beautiful. It's uh, one of the best movies I've seen in 2019 so far. It sounds invigorating in a lot of ways and also extremely awkward. Uh, Um, Yeah. And I I didn't even say that I said, everybody dies. We see everybody die. That's how it feels like a horror movie. Everyone dies one by one in different ways. And some of them are upsetting. I mean, you know, just to get through it, I might have to turn the theater into my own little fuck box. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 